This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Five minutes after the hour, it's Friday, December 10th. Good morning and welcome to Morning Air on the Feast of Our Lady of Loretto. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Glenn is off today on Fridays. We remember the passion and the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Friday is also the traditional day dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Now, Pope Francis established the Feast of Our Lady of Loretto in 2019. The decree stated this celebration will help all people to imitate the virtues of that perfect disciple of the gospel, the Virgin Mother. In fact, we're in the midst of a Marian trifecta, as I like to call it, with the Immaculate Conception celebrated on Wednesday, today's Feast of Our Lady of Loretto, and Sunday's upcoming Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. We begin every show, every hour in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn, and patroness of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the playbook of life is from Luke 137. The angel Gabriel said to Mary, our mother, for nothing will be impossible with God. In fact, these very words, nothing is impossible with God, appear right over the crucifix in Relevant Radio's Chapel of the Nativity in Green Bay, Wisconsin. They are a never-ending reminder that if it's according to God's will, nothing is impossible with God. Our blessed Lord himself says it in Mark 9:23, all things are possible to him who believes. And so we always pray with great belief and great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, this coming Sunday, December 12th, we celebrate the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, the patroness of the Americas, the patroness of the unborn. In anticipation of this huge feast, which this year falls on the third Sunday of Advent, I want to share a special historical perspective on the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe. During the miraculous events that unfolded for four days in December of 1531, our Blessed Lord willed to meet mankind through His own mother, Santa Maria de Guadalupe. At dawn on the morning of December 9, 1531, a humble, recent convert to the Catholic faith named Juan Diego was walking nine miles on his way to attend Mass on the then Feast of the Immaculate Conception. 
As the 57-year-old Aztec Indian passed by the hill of Tepeyac just outside Mexico City, he heard the beautiful singing of birds which seemed to come from heaven. Juan Diego looked to see where the heavenly music was coming from when he suddenly heard a young woman's voice affectionately calling his name. Juanito, Juan Dieguito. Reaching the top of the hill, he encountered a beautiful dark-skinned woman surrounded by radiant light and music. Her clothes shine like the sun. Speaking in his own native Aztec language, she said, My dear little son, I love you. I desire you to know who I am. I am the ever-Virgin Mary, mother of the true God, who is the origin of all life, who creates all things and keeps them in being, the Lord of heaven and earth. Our Lady told Juan Diego to go to the Bishop of Mexico City and request that a church be built where his people could experience her love and compassion. After being put off by the bishop's servants, Juan Diego was finally granted an audience with Franciscan Bishop Fray Juan Sumarraga. At first, the bishop didn't believe him and asked him to come back on another day. A disappointed Juan Diego returned to Tepeyac and asked Our Lady to use someone else more worthy than himself. She assured him that he was personally chosen to be her ambassador. The next day, he returned to plead with the bishop. Even though the bishop was impressed by Juan's persistence, the bishop was still not sure. He sent Juan Diego to tell the lady he needed a sign in order to know if it was truly her. After hearing the bishop's request, Our Lady told Juan to return the next day and she would give him the sign he needed. Returning home, Juan Diego found his uncle Juan Bernardino very ill and close to death. Instead of coming back the next day, Juan stayed home and took care of his ailing uncle. Early on December the 12th, Juan Diego returned to Mexico City to find a priest to administer the last rites to his dying uncle. On his way, he went around the back of Tepeyac Hill to avoid Our Lady. But she met him anyway, telling him not to worry, that his uncle was already healed. The Blessed Virgin said, My little son, do not be distressed and afraid. Am I not here who am your mother? Are you not under my shadow and protection? Your uncle will not die at this time. Juan Diego was to learn later that at the moment Our Lady appeared to his uncle, he was restored to health. She urged Juan to go to the top of the hill, where he would find flowers miraculously growing. Juan was astonished to see so many vibrant Castilian roses despite the frost. He cut them and gathered them into his tilma or cloak. Our Lady arranged the flowers with her own hands, rolled up the tilma, and ordered Juan Diego not to open his tilma until he was in the presence of the bishop. After being harassed by the bishop's servants, Juan Diego was finally brought in to see him. After explaining all the details of his conversation with Our Lady, he let down his tilma and the roses fell to the floor. Juan was surprised when everyone in the room also went down on their knees. A life-size image of the Blessed Virgin Mary had miraculously appeared on Juan Diego's tilma. A teary-eyed and repentant Bishop Juan Zumarraga promised to build a shrine that Our Lady, Santa Maria de Guadalupe, had requested. In a short time, a chapel was built 
and the miraculous image was venerated by the faithful. The multitudes began to stream in to see the heavenly image and hear the story from Juan Diego himself. Many miracles started happening and in the following seven years, some nine million natives were baptized and converted to Jesus Christ because of the faith of Juan Diego and the miracle of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And beginning this Saturday night on the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, there will be celebrations in Mexico City where millions normally visit the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe with celebrations in Los Angeles, San Antonio, suburban Chicago, and many other places across our nation. Father Ezekiel Sanchez is director of the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Des Plaines, Illinois, in suburban Chicago, where normally 200 to 300,000 pilgrims have come to honor Our Lady of Guadalupe in years past before the pandemic. Uh, we thought it important to come out and uh, kind of express to our community that, uh, that we're ready to receive the community and restart once again our uh, time-honored uh, celebration of the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Last year, the shrine was unable to host our yearly Our Lady of Guadalupe feast day that normally draws thousands and thousands of pilgrims from around the country and this was done because of the spread of the coronavirus last year. It was a very painful experience for all of us not to be able to hold the celebration, which means so much to so many. Roman Catholics and non-Roman Catholic Christians often come to venerate the Blessed Mother during this feast day. This is a very beautiful expression of, of the concern of our community. People come seeking help, spiritual help, and also uh, material help as well. The Latino community was hard hit both by infection and by those who died of the coronavirus. We still are experiencing that difficult experience where people have asked heaven itself to intercede. There is nothing more painful in the life of a community than to see one's loved ones pass away, and even more so particularly in the Latino community, where we have members of our community who are not allowed to travel to go be with their loved ones. They did not say goodbye to their mother, their father, their brother, their sister, because of reasons of, of money, uh, immigration status, or simply health on their own, or the limits of the coronavirus to people to be able to travel. To say goodbye to somebody without ever seeing them is a, is a haunting that still lives within us. This celebration of Our Lady of Guadalupe is a communal expression of the power of hope that helps us overcome the adversities of our life, including the adversities that are yet to come. Father Ezekiel Sanchez, the rector of the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Des Plaines, Illinois, suburban Chicago, considered the largest gathering of Catholics in America, where as many as 300,000 pilgrims have visited the shrine, second only to the Mexican capital. Now, at the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City, the miraculous image is still displayed after nearly 500 years on the original tilma of St. Juan Diego. Joining us now is Ricardo Flores, the co-founder of MadeByCatholics.com, to discuss the tilma of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Good morning, Ricardo. Welcome back to Morning Air. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Hello, thank you for having me again, Don. Hello, how are you? How Doing are you great. Uh, very blessed, uh, Ricardo. I'm always uh, so appreciative every time I go into my office and I see that beautiful uh, bronze image of Our Lady of Guadalupe that you gave uh, to Relevant Radio back when we were doing the Spanish show. I so much appreciate it. It's a never-ending uh, memento uh, that I will never forget, Ricardo. No, it's a pleasure. It was very it was very nice for us to give it to you. Let's talk about uh, the tilma of uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, this miraculous tilma. First of all, can you explain for us what exactly is a tilma? Well, a tilma is, uh, in many ways, it's, it's, a, it's a garment with the way it's, it's clothing. But in a lot of ways, it's also an instrument of work because the, the people would use it and also use it to carry fruit or carry stones or carry wood or whatever they need to transport. So it's a, it's a it's a it's a way of dress and it's also a way of work and it's made of a very humble textile which is burlap or jute right people call it burlap but it's basically a cactus fiber right and that's what the tilma is. And Ricardo, uh, when we talk about uh, the actual tilma of the image, this miraculous image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, there are so many unbelievable, inexplicable mysteries. L let's talk about just a, a few of the mysteries that come to mind. Well, there is several mysteries in the tilma. One is that, uh, which I think is remarkable, is that her, uh, she shows all the stars and uh, the stars in the, in, the, in the sky exactly the day that she appeared, which uh, in that time nobody could really know which are the position of the stars. And if you see the Tiba, she has all the stars exactly in the moment at that point of the, of the sky. There's also other issues like uh, the fact that it's, she's going to be 500, the Tiba is going to be 500 years old in 10 years, which is very important. And the material which is made with this Hennequin fiber that normally disintegrates in uh, 20 years is still there, almost impeccable. There's other very important things, like people have tried to threaten the, the, the Tima, like to destroy it, or enemies of the church that tried to bomb it one time, and it's still in almost perfect condition. And there's, of course, a lot of other things that people say that you can see in her eyes, you can still see the images, uh, microscopic, almost microscopic images of when Fray uh, Juan de Sumarraga saw her the first time. So there's really a lot of things. But I think the main issue is that, uh, first of all, it's made in such a humble textile because she could have left it in gold or silver, and she didn't. She left it in the most humble textile. That's a message of humility which is very, very important. Another very important issue is that uh, she's pregnant. It's an image of Our Lady of Our Lady Mary, of Our Mother Mary, which is pregnant. And uh, that's also a very powerful message. That, uh, And then the main issue is that uh, uh, our, uh, our Mother Mary's appeared, approved by the Vatican, I think it's 22 or 23 times. But this is the only time she left something behind. And all the other apparitions, like Lourdes or Fatima or Kiev, all those apparitions, she was seen through the eyes of dictionary. But in this apparition, she left something behind, which is a tilma. 
And Ricardo, those are just a few of uh, the uh, the miraculous uh, realities about this tilma. One other one I think that's kind of important is that the materials that compose the colors don't belong to any known chemical element. It's been studied by scientists. They have no explanation where these colors come from and uh, no signs of paint actually on the tilma. Yeah, no signs of paint, no mineral or vegetable chemicals. Nothing to prove that it was made by a man or a woman. It was it was created by a human being. All that all that is very important. But I think the main issue is that she she uh, sent a very powerful message of uh, love, and she stopped the killing, and she stopped the division between the the natives and the and the Europeans. The, the Spanish were in Mexico. She. Suddenly, she stopped all the violence and the killing, and she brought love to, uh, to millions of people. And now, it, now, for example, I was watching the television uh, yesterday. Now assembled in, uh, in, in uh, El Tepeyac, today, at this moment, there's more than 8 million people right now. Isn't that unbelievable? Absolutely amazing. And this is after uh, the pandemic. Uh, so much enthusiasm this year for Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, real briefly, can you talk about uh, your work reproducing the tilmas of Our Lady of Guadalupe and where our listeners can actually get one of these actual reproductions? Yeah, well, we have a very powerful domain that we think are very lucky, which is OurLadyOfGuadalupe.us, which is U.S. for the United States. And we make this replica of the tilma. We developed it, my wife Monica and I developed it eight years ago. It was a very complex thing, but it's an image of Our Lady, very, very similar to the authentic one in the color, in the size, in the textile. It's very similar. Of course, it's not the natural textile. Nobody could do that, but it's, it's, a, it's made out of jute, fox jute. And we make this image because we think at a very reasonable price, very accessible because we think that people should have it in their home because they can't go see her. Like Father Ezekiel was saying, they can't go see her. So we try to bring the real the, uh, the real image in a very similar texture, very similar color at Our Lady Guadalupe.us. Well, Ricardo, uh, you are very blessed uh, to be able to share this beautiful image of Our Lady Guadalupe to so many people across our country. Uh, thank you for what you do. Once again, Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, .us is the place if you, if you are interested in getting a, a beautiful uh, reproduction of the tilma, the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, uh, made by Catholics.com is, is the other site. Thanks so much, Ricardo. No, thank you to all, and uh, have a blessed feast of Our Lady Guadalupe. And remember, even in the most difficult times, she is always protecting us. Absolutely. She's always protecting us. Que Dios te bendiga. May God bless you. Bendiga Ricardo Dios Flores, Dios. the co-founder of MadeByCatholics.com. We need to take a short break. When Morning Air continues, Monsignor Stephen Rossetti will join us to discuss overcoming the challenges that people face during Christmas time. Stay with us. There's much more to come on Morning Air after this. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester.
Welcome back to Morning Air on the Feast of Our Lady of Loretto. I'm John Morales. Thanks for tuning in and being with us this morning. Our number, if you want to be part of the show, 888-914-9149. Now, Christmas uh, for many is a favorite season and a special time of the year. As Catholics, we spend the Advent season preparing for the coming of our Savior, Jesus the Lord, the real reason for this season. But for some people... Christmas can be a difficult time of the year with lots of stress, lots of demands, with all the shopping, the Christmas parties, the family gatherings with relatives that you hardly ever see. Joining us now is a friend of Morning Air, Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, to discuss how to overcome some of the challenges that people face during Christmas time. Monsignor Rossetti is an author, educator, licensed psychologist, and expert in psychological and spiritual wellness issues for Catholic priests. In 2010, he joined the faculty of Catholic University of America to teach in the School of Theology and Religious Studies. Since 2009, he's also served as the chaplain of the Washington Nationals. Monsignor Rossetti, welcome back to Morning Air. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. It's great to be with you. Good morning, John. It's great to be with you and all of our friends at Relevant Radio. I hear uh, this beautiful Christmas music, uh, and, and it just brings joy to my heart. Uh, you know, when we think of, of Christmas uh, as, a, as a joyful season, a joyful day, but that's not the case for everybody. Monsignor, who should be especially concerned uh, during this time of year? Who, who are we uh, talking about? Well, John, as, as you mentioned, it's a beautiful season. I love it, but... Uh, it's stressful for all people, really, but there are there's a group of uh, many who really struggle with this holiday season and really hope to sort of just make it through, if you will. People who are isolated, people who have no family, uh, people who have a lot of uh, distress in their background, and or people with social anxiety. There's this thing called holiday social anxiety, and that's when people, all these social gatherings, all the pressures, uh, they feel very tense. Uh, they get anxious, and they have a hard time coping. So it, uh, with the joy comes also a stress for a lot of people. And I imagine that that holiday social anxiety uh, applies to like co- company Christmas parties where you got to go mm-hmm. and hang out and, and mingle with people that you may not even want to be with. Yes, and uh, surprisingly, uh, a large number of people actually find these very stressful. They're expected to make small talk. They're afraid they're going to say something stupid. Uh, they, they feel uncomfortable on a lot of people. They, they don't know that well. And so it, it, it can be a challenge uh, for people. Uh, one thing I encourage people to do is if you're going to a holiday social party or event and you're feeling nervous, you know, take a friend. Uh, take someone you enjoy and who you feel comfortable with and, and spend a lot of your time with that friend. I think that'll help calm you a bit. I, uh, I think that uh, one has to re- kind of recollect yourself and, and try to put on a smile. Just the, the power of, of, of sharing a smile with, with people can, can really light up uh, the, the occasion, light up the day. Yes, I, I think a lot of people, when they uh, come into uh, the Christmas season, they have these unrealistic expectations, you know, about what Christmas is supposed to be like. But first of all, I would say, think of the first Christmas. Uh, 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 Mary and Joseph were away from their families, isolated. Uh, they were very poor, of course. It was cold. They were in a stable. And so they they had, you know, uh, it was a difficult time. And yet there was great joy uh, because they had Jesus. And so I re- that's probably the, the important spiritual message for all of us, that in the midst of our poverty and what we don't have, 
uh, we have Jesus. Um, Monsignor Rossetti, um, the reality is that for some folks, uh, this can be a painful time of the year, especially mm-hmm. because it reminds them of the loss of their loved ones, loss of parents, uh, loss of relatives, uh, loss of cl- close friends uh, th- that we miss uh, so much. Uh, how uh, can we be supportive um, to, to people who may be going through a really tough time uh, during the, the Christmas holidays uh, because of the loss of uh, family members? Yes, uh, uh, always holiday season, especially Christmas, we remember painfully sometimes all loved ones who are not here. We remember all the Christmases perhaps we spent with parents or some children or spouses or whatever. Uh, and it can be very, uh, it can be a difficult time. So one thing I think we do is to, to say it out loud, to in our prayer before meals or in our morning prayer, say, you know, we pray for our mother, my father, or whoever I miss, and we say out loud, we, we pray for them, and we join in, in a prayer for them. But also, not to spend it alone. Isolation really is the killer, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, mental health, if you will. So, uh, what I suggest people do is, if you're alone, uh, perhaps for this Christmas, there's going to be somebody not far away from you who's also going to be alone. Call them up, invite them over, a simple dinner, light a candle, remember your loved ones, and, and as you reach out and help others, uh, it will make your Christmas brighter too. Without a doubt. Um, Monsignor, the reality is, is especially in the last uh, 20 months or so uh, during the pandemic, uh, there's been an increase in depression by so many people. I imagine that that's even more compounded uh, right around the holidays. Can you, can you talk about how can uh, folks deal with real depression uh, during the Christmas holidays? Yes, depression is a, a major uh, problem in, in the world, but especially during this pandemic, it's uh, almost doubled or tripled in this country. And around Christmas time, it can be a, a real tough thing. And, and sadly, suicide rates tend, have been gone up markedly in the last year. And so again, talk, don't, don't, hold, don't hold it in. You know, share your struggles with other people, connect with uh, other people, and also do what works for you. When I deal with a client and the client's suffering, I'll say, look, when you felt this way in the past, what did you do that helped you? And they'll say, well, I did this or I did that or I called a friend or I went out to exercise. Okay, whatever works for you, then then do more of that, especially during this holiday season. Absolutely. Uh, any um, suggestions uh, with with dealing uh, with depression? Um, I, I know uh, from looking into this and, and talking to others, and actually having experienced it in, in way in the past, um, the importance of prayer, the importance of exercise, nutrition, getting a proper rest, uh, just to help you feel a little bit better when you're feeling actually depressed. Yeah, I think for all those things, uh, you know, John, are important. Uh, I like to focus on the connection piece, you know, connecting with God in prayer. When you really do connect with the Lord in prayer, it, it, the Lord does lift our, our spirits. And also, again, connecting with others. Uh, the big thing about uh, depression is you tend to isolate, and that makes it worse, and you brood, you know. And so reaching out and connecting. And, and if you've got nowhere to go, then then go to, uh, I used to work in a soup kitchen. And, you know, it was kind of a moving thing to to help other people who have less. So reaching out to other people, maybe your next-door neighbor, maybe some elderly person who's, who's alone for the holiday season, or 
some young people. One of the uh, underserved groups that's most suffering in this last decade is the young people, people you know in their teens. Uh, the suicide rates have skyrocketed. Depression rates have skyrocketed. And so let's not forget our young people and include them. You might be surprised how happy they are to be with you. Absolutely. Uh, it is It is so uh, sad to hear stories of young people who take their, their lives. Uh, Monsignor, there is a difference between um, depression and just feeling down, uh, being clinically depressed and, and just being kind of, uh, you know, have a low mood. What do you do uh, when you feel that you really need some help? Yes, well, absolutely, John. When someone's really clinically depressed, uh, then they really should seek out some professional help. Uh, and if you can't afford a therapist, there are plenty, plenty of organizations that will help you, uh, especially go to Catholic Social Services, explain the situation to them, they'll, they'll help you. So find a therapist that can help you, you can talk to. Also support groups. Uh, that's terrific, a place to, to connect with other people uh, suffering. You'll find out you're not alone. Or church groups. Don't underestimate the importance of volunteering. Uh, connecting with your parish community. In the final uh, 90 seconds that we have, Monsignor, uh, just uh, some encouraging uh, thoughts uh, on ways that we can enjoy uh, this Christmas holiday season in a calm, relaxed, uh, prayerful, Mm. and realistic way. Well, I say first reduce your expectations. You know, this this is I love the uh, the Hallmark Christmas movies. You know, and I watch them, but but they're they're portrayals of Christmas are a little unrealistic. So first of all, have a realistic expectation of what Christmas is, you know. And number two, do something that you like with Christmas. Now, for example, I love to walk through the neighborhood and look at the decorations on people's houses and the lights. So something simple that you enjoy that's easy to do. Absolutely. One of our traditions is to watch the movie It's a Wonderful Life, which I think has such a strong message and can really lift up all of our spirits. Yes, yes. And I, I, we all have our own traditions. And I say to people listening that whatever is good for you, you know, what, what makes you happy? Maybe just a, a little light in the window, you know, a walk down this and looking at Christmas. I love to see the, the Capitol Christmas tree. I live in the, Washington, D.C., so I love to see it. Well, Monsignor, uh, th- these are all great uh, suggestions. Uh, thanks so much. Can you give us your blessing? May our Blessed Mother on this beautiful day spread her mantle over all of you. May she lift up your spirits. May you come to know Christ as she did in your hearts and give birth to Jesus. And may Almighty God bless you all and protect you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, uh, Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, author and licensed psychologist. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Bishop Daniel Muggenberg will look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel. Stay with us. There's much more to come. From Maui to Maine, you're listening to Morning Air with John Morales. And welcome back to Morning Air on another Friday dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I'm John Morales. It's good to be with you. And now it's time to look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel. Always keep in mind that the Word of God in the Gospels, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, is powerful. When the Gospel, the Book Eternal, is proclaimed, Christ is passing by. Jesus is speaking to you. So listen carefully, folks, as Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, the Bishop of Reno, Nevada, shares his weekly reflection on this Sunday's Gospel with our very own Glenn Leverance. 
Our gospel reading for the third Sunday of Advent comes from Luke chapter 3. The crowds asked John the Baptist, what should we do? He said to them in reply, whoever has two cloaks should share with the person who has none, and whoever has food should do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said to him, teacher, what should we do? He answered them, stop collecting more than what is prescribed. Soldiers also asked him, and what is it that we should do? He told them, do not practice extortion, do not falsely accuse anyone, and be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were filled with expectation, and all were asking in their hearts whether John might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I am baptizing you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. With the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Exhorting them in many other ways, he preached good news to the people. And that's our third Sunday in Advent reading out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. Time now for an in-depth look. We're joined by Bishop Daniel Muggenberg from the Diocese of Reno, Nevada. Bishop Muggenberg, always great to have you along. Great to be here, Glenn. Well, uh, these Sundays now we're following the adventures of John the Baptist preparing the way for our Lord, preaching repentance. And it seems like in this reading, people kind of know they need to do something and they're wondering what practical steps they need to take. That's exactly right. You know, the indication from this reading is that the people had not only heard John's message of repentance and preparation, but now the people have accepted it and they're wanting to know how they can live it out, you know, how they can take the next step of faith. And that next step of faith has practical implications for their lives. Now, that's one of the reasons it's really important that we have this this question repeated three times, what must we do or what should we do? That is the fundamental question of discipleship for Luke's gospel. And we'll see that question appear multiple times throughout Luke's gospel and even in the Acts of the Apostles. Well, Bishop Muggenberg, this really speaks to the need to do some works along with our faith. Yes, it does. But we always need to remember that there is a, um, a sequential um, expression in our uh, relationship between faith and works, and namely that is that um, works are never meant to replace our relationship of faith, but our relationship of faith has to be manifested in a practical conformity of life, which indeed does bring about um, great works of charity, faith, and justice for others. And so for disciples, um, it's not just about doing something, but it's rather about expressing our relationship with Jesus in what we are doing. That doing something in response, obviously John's words were striking a chord and uh, calling these people to action. Yes, and, and John's word should strike a chord in each one of us during this season of Advent so that we seek to do those practical changes of life so that we can better express our relationship with Jesus in our daily activities. And some of those activities often come out this time of year in our charitable works. Uh, if we have two cloaks, share with one who has none. To be honest in our dealings, not collect more taxes than uh, our owed, and not to extort anyone either, falsely accuse someone. Also, maybe a tricky line in here about uh, be satisfied with your wages. <laughs> yeah, very true. You know, being a Roman soldier and being assigned to a remote province of the Roman Empire like Palestine was not a very pleasant job. 
soldiers weren't paid very much, but they were given very large swords. <laughs> and so often, yeah, oftentimes they would use um, their position uh, and they would use their authority and even their weapon in order to intimidate people uh, and bully people and extort, you know, from people um, out in the public realm. And, uh, and so in a real sense, you know, Jesus is saying to the soldiers, yes, you have a difficult state in life. There's no doubt about it. But just because you have a difficult state in life, you shouldn't make others suffer because of that, you know, uh, but rather stop the cycle of suffering. Stop that cycle by choosing to be content, um, by choosing to accept what is um, an unfortunate and difficult situation of life. But nonetheless, it's not something that you need to perpetuate uh, in the lives of others. Well, and just a, a quick tangent about being a good witness in the workplace. If we do our jobs with integrity and justice, that gives us that platform then to witness. Absolutely, it does. You know, I, I'm really fascinated by that um, question that the tax collectors ask when they say, what should we do? And I'm surprised because, you know, in the time of Jesus, people would have just presumed that if you wanted to grow close to God and you were a tax collector, that you had to abandon your profession because they considered being a tax collector an inherently sinful job inherently sinful uh, because it lent itself to extortion and greed and also because they were cooperating with the occupying Roman powers. But that isn't what John tells the tax collectors. He doesn't say leave your job, but rather he says bring integrity and justice and honesty into your job, into your occupation. I think that's a, an important message for us today because John is really saying to the tax collectors, transform your reality from the inside out, be the agents of change so that it is no longer an inherently sinful thing to do, uh, but rather it can become virtuous. It can become uh, um, a positive contribution to the good of society, which is what it's meant to be. And that certainly applies to a lot of our professional pursuits today. And as our professions and the view of them changes over time, uh, we, we might need to uh, accommodate uh, people's opinions about that a little bit, too, in terms of uh, journalism. Covering the news is a big part of what I do at Relevant Radio here, and uh, journalists not maybe seen in the, in the same light they were a generation or two ago. But uh, as with any job, to do our honest best goes a, a long way. Well, like we today with uh, just a few weeks to go till Christmas, are filled with expectation. The people listening to John were really thinking something has happened. They were wondering if, if he was the Christ. Yes, and uh, John did a very wonderful thing. When people began to focus on him, and they came out to hear his preaching, and they heard about his dramatic, prophetic uh, pronouncements, John had all these people focusing their attention on him. And it would have been so easy for John to become prideful you know, to become self-centered, to have basked in all of that worldly attention. But what John does is that when the crowds put their attention on him, he immediately points to Jesus and turns their attention to the Lord. Now, that's an important instruction because, you know, at different moments of all of our lives, we find ourselves as the center of attention. And John's example, I think, challenges us to use that position um, of being the center of attention to introduce people to Jesus rather than letting them simply um, keep their attention focused on us. 
I mean, John is showing us what it means to be a great disciple, a great missionary, and a great evangelist, using every situation to be able to point people to Jesus. Um, and hopefully during this season of Advent, we can think of people, members of our family and our friends, uh, that we can help point to Jesus as well. Such a great passage for professional Christians to look at, those who are making a living by speaking about the Lord and uh, pointing others to Him to uh, need to see themselves in the proper light. Very true. Um, you know, um, our life is, is, is not given to us just for ourselves. Our life is always given to us and our opportunities in life, even our professional opportunities, so that we can love God and love neighbor through that. And that's what it means not only to be a good disciple, but also to be a faithful and um, a trustworthy steward of the, of the gifts that God has entrusted to us. And that's a part of discipleship. So using our position in life, whether it's our professional position, our resourced position, or our situation of being the center of attention, using that as the means by which we proclaim Christ and lead others to Christ is always a measure of a good disciple. Do we need to see what John saw in uh, the humility and freedom that comes from being humble and obedient? Well, humility is what allowed John to be able to um, be a faithful witness to Jesus. You know, in the other Gospels, John will even say, like John's Gospel, John says, he must increase, I must decrease. You know, he is the word, I am only the voice. John saw himself in relationship to Jesus properly because he knew who he was not. He didn't have an inflated self-image that confused the role of Jesus um, and his role as being the servant of Jesus. That humility, that clarity, that eagerness really shines through. And John expresses that in this gospel when he says, he's not only mightier than me, but I'm not even worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. I mean, John is saying that he's not even worthy to be the lowest of servants to Jesus. It's a pure privilege, a pure honor to serve the Lord. It doesn't come about because of our worthiness. It always comes about because of God's gracious mercy. And Bishop Muggenberg, the final line from this passage out of Luke 3, verses 10 through 18, uh, he preached the good news to the people. That's what John did. But right before that, he had a few notes of what might be coming on the powerful side of our Lord. Very true. You know, John speaks about how, um, although he is baptizing in water, that uh, the one who is coming, uh, the one who is mightier than he, will baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit, and that there will be an element of judgment to his coming. And that judgment is um, expressed in the winnowing fan in his hand, ready to clear the threshing floor. Now, what will be interesting about that particular observation, and we'll see it happen later in Luke's Gospel, is that John was preparing uh, for a very imminent judgment. And it was a judgment in which John perceived, um, you know, the presence of sin would be destroyed, that it would involve um, a certain amount of destruction. And yet what we see in the actual ministry of Jesus is that rather than bringing destruction and judgment and condemnation, Jesus actually comes and is reconciling and redeeming and forgiving. And Jesus' ministry of reconciliation, forgiveness, and mercy um, is a little bit confusing to John. And so again, as we'll see later in the gospel, John actually will send his messengers to Jesus to say, are you the one or should we look for another? So sometimes John had to struggle with his own expectations of Jesus, which our Lord ended up not fulfilling. 
And so John had to John had to express his humility by embracing Jesus as he revealed himself to be, rather than as John wanted him to be. Great saints, the Lord uh, used mightily, still had questions, which suggests that it's okay. The Lord can handle those questions and expectations we have as we patiently learn the right way and the right things. Appreciate your time, as always, Bishop Muggenberg, if you'd be so kind as to wrap us up with your blessing this week. The Lord be with you. And may the blessing of Almighty God, who not only grants us the gift of faith, but also instills within us the desire to conform our lives to Christ, speak to us personally during this third Sunday of Advent, so that we might desire to grow more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus himself. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And thank you, Bishop Muggenberg. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Christmas Love by Candy Shan. Each December, I vowed to make Christmas a calm and peaceful experience, but once again, despite my plans, chaos prevailed. I'd cut back on non-essential obligations, extensive card writing, endless baking, decorating, and yes, even the all-American pastime, overspending. Yet still, I found myself exhausted, unable to appreciate the precious family moments and, of course, the true meaning of Christmas. My son Nicholas was in kindergarten that year. It was an exciting season for a six-year-old, filled with hopes, dreams, and laughter. For weeks, he'd been memorizing songs for his school's winter pageant. I didn't have the heart to tell him I'd be working the night of the production. Unwilling to miss his shining moment, I spoke with his teacher. She assured me there'd be a dress rehearsal the morning of the presentation. All parents unable to attend that evening were welcome to come then. Fortunately, Nicholas seemed happy with the compromise. So, just as promised, on the morning of the dress rehearsal, I filed in ten minutes early, found a spot on the cafeteria floor, and sat down. Around the room, I saw several other parents quietly scampering to their seats. As I waited, the students were led into the room. Each class, accompanied by their teacher, sat cross-legged on the floor. Then each group, one by one, rose to perform their song. Because the public school system had long stopped referring to the holiday as Christmas, I didn't expect anything other than fun commercial entertainment, songs of reindeer, Santa Claus, snowflakes, and good cheer. The melodies were fun, cute, and lighthearted, but nowhere to be found was even the hint of an innocent babe, a manger, or Christ's sacred gift of hope and joy. So when my son's class rose to sing Christmas Love, I was slightly taken aback by its bold title. Nicholas was aglow, as were all of his classmates. Adorned in fuzzy mittens, red sweaters, and bright snow caps upon their heads, those in the front row, center stage, held up large letters, one by one, to spell out the title of the song. As the class would sing C is for Christmas, a child would hold up the letter C. Then H is for happy, and on and on, till each child holding up his portion had presented the complete message, Christmas love. The performance was going smoothly until, suddenly, we noticed her, a small, quiet girl in the front row who was holding the letter M upside down. She was entirely unaware that reversed her letter M appeared as a W. Fidgeting from side to side, she soon moved entirely away from her mark. The audience of first through sixth graders snickered at the little one's mistake, but in her innocence... She had no idea they were laughing at her as she stood tall, proudly holding her W. One can only imagine the difficulty in calming an audience of young, giggling students. Although many teachers tried to shush the children, the laughter continued till the last letter was raised, and we all saw it together. A hush came over the audience, and eyes began to widen. In that instant, we understood. The reason we were there, why we celebrated the holiday in the first place, 
and why even in the chaos there was a purpose for our festivities. But when the last letter was held high, the message read loud and clear, Christ's was love. And I believe he still is. 1 John 3.16 This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Thanks so much, uh, Glenn, and uh, we are going to uh, continue uh, this morning uh, talking about Our Lady of Guadalupe, the upcoming feast uh, that it will be happening uh, this coming Sunday, uh, next hour. In fact, uh, National Pro-Life Leader Astrid Benegutieres will be with us to talk about the significance of the image of Our Lady Guadalupe, the patroness of the unborn, and we have a special feature, uh, a special look back at the miracle of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and uh, as well, Catholic attorney Mary Helen Fiorito will be with us uh, next hour to talk about the latest reaction, uh, especially from the mainstream media to the Dobbs case uh, and the claims that abortion is merely a religious issue. So we have a lot more conversation, a lot more to talk about. Stay with us. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. <laughs> 